Good morning, Novation Nation. Uh, happy Sunday to you. It's Pastor Scott coming to you from our basement into your home, living room, wherever you are. Um, want to say good morning to you. If I haven't had the chance to meet you and maybe you stumbled by this or you're checking out Novation, welcome. So glad you chose to, to do this with us, this online church thing that we're doing. There's going to be an end to this and we're going to be able to meet together at some point again. And if you're looking for, you know, a, a church family, a place to fellowship and we're we're here to answer any questions and help you in any way we can in your journey with God. This past week, I read about a, a man who was 104 years old and he, he survived the coronavirus already. He got it, went through the sickness and is on the other side of this. And they were recounting all the things that he had been through in his 104 years of living. He went through the Spanish flu. He went through World War II, Vietnam. I mean, all these things. And here he is, you know, 104 years old and he survived this. And I was thinking about our young people that are experiencing this, how much it's rocked your world in some ways. Our seniors, man, I feel for you and how, uh, how much it feels like something was taken away from you. But I bet if we were to sit down with that 104-year-old man and pick his brain over a cup of coffee, he'd have some great wisdom for all of us that how life has been interrupted or detoured, so to speak. And I think Jesus has a good word for all of us this morning to, to re remember from what he spoke to his disciples. Today is Palm Sunday, next week all over the world, people are going to be celebrating Easter Sunday, the resurrection of Jesus. The greatest event in history is Jesus rising from the grave to defeat death, to defeat sin, to defeat the devil. And even though we can't be together right now, um, we really are together because the same Holy Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, he actually lives in each one of us. And so we are together in spirit. Jesus said, where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am in the midst of them. So the presence of Jesus, we're here, one another doing our best at this whole online thing. Um, today, as I said, is Palm Sunday. It's the triumphal entry where Jesus uh, came into Jerusalem. It came into the old city to spend his last week um, before he went to the cross and rose from the grave. And it says that Jesus came riding in on a donkey and the people had palm branches and they were shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna, glory to God in the highest. And, you know, there was a worship happening. They thought Jesus, here's our Messiah. He's coming in to triumph. So that's the triumphal entry. And I was thinking how those people... Man, by Friday, the same guy that rode in on a donkey was, was put to death on a cross. And what a crisis that they all would have been experiencing. This didn't go the way they thought it was going to go. But Jesus was fulfilling scripture. He was fulfilling prophecy when he, he did that. And little did they know on the third day he was going to rise. 
and he did rise victoriously and it really was a triumphal entry just took a little longer than you know than just one day or whatever what jesus was doing and the the first three gospels matthew mark luke and john i mean matthew mark and luke all record a lot about this last week of jesus but john doesn't record a whole lot about this last week um we see the triumphal entry in John chapter 12. But once we get to 13, John focuses all about this intimate time that Jesus had with his 12 disciples over a meal, over him teaching and encouraging. You get in, in chapter 13, starts right away with the Last Supper. And then Jesus does something amazing. He washes his disciples' feet. He takes that place of a servant and he tells them, as I've loved you, I want you to love one another. And then chapter 14, 15, and 16, Jesus disciples his disciples. Some of the richest teachings, some of my favorite chapters in the Bible are those chapter 14, 15, and 16 on what does it mean to follow Jesus? What does he want for us? What kind of life is he inviting us into? And then all of a sudden, in chapter 17, Jesus moves from talking to the disciples to praying for them. And that's what chapter 17 is, one long prayer of Jesus over his disciples. But here's what I want you to really understand. Jesus wasn't just praying for the 12. He was praying for you and me. You say, well, where do you get that? Well, I get it in verse 20. He says, I'm praying not only for those disciples, but also for all who will ever believe in me through their message. Think about that. That was you and me. 2,000 years ago, you were on the mind of Jesus. You were in the prayers of Jesus. You were on his heart. And that moved me when I really got to thinking about that, that you were on the, the mind of Jesus. You were on the heart of Jesus 2,000 years ago. And his love for you that is expressed then has never changed. In Romans 8, we're told that nothing can separate us from the love of God that's found in Christ, that he, you know, not death, nor disease, nor anything, no job loss, loss of money, put anything in there is going to separate you and I from how much Jesus loves us. So let's, as we unpack this chapter this morning, let's remember he was praying for you. He was praying for me. The first few verses say this, says Jesus looked up to heaven and he said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son so he can give glory back to you. For you have given him authority over everyone. He gives eternal life to each one you have given him. And this is the way to have eternal life, to know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, the one you sent to earth. I brought glory to you here on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. Now, Father, bring me into the glory we shared before the world began. In this prayer, we see Jesus's heart, his passion. We call this, this week between Palm Sunday and Easter, it's Passion Week, Holy Week, because Jesus was passionate. He was passionate about his Father in doing the will and work of the Father, and he was passionate about us, why he came to save us. 
Not only do we see in his heart, into his heart, we see our hope. We see real hope in this. And you know, hope is, our hope has to be in something that can't be taken away. That's not affected by disease or loss or any of these other things. Um, our, our, I believe the time that we're in is exposing to me and to you false hopes. When you look through the Old Testament over and over and over, um, there was Israel's battle with idolatry and the foreign nations around them, you know, they would worship these little statues made of wood, these little false deities, um, these little false gods and called idols. And we don't have things of wood or stone that we would worship in our culture, but, but we do have a false hopes, many false hopes. And God wants us to have him be our ultimate hope. And I believe that's, that's happening. Jesus is our true and only hope. Hope has to be, ultimate hope has to be in something that can't be taken away. People can be taken away. Stuff can be taken away. Jobs can be lost. But you know what can't be lost? Eternal life. That is eternal life is to know God and Jesus Christ whom he sent. So when Jesus continues to pray in here, he prayed for, for five things that you and I would have. How many know it's a good thing when Jesus prays something for you? <laughs> that's, a, that's a prayer that, that gets answered. But also remember that Jesus is praying in, Christ, in a time of crisis for him. His hour was approaching to go through the difficulty that he was about to go through. And so when he prays this prayer and what we're going to talk about after that, he's praying in the middle of a crisis. And here's the first thing he prays. He prays that you and I would have joy, that we would have joy. He says that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. Happiness is not joy. Happiness is based on circumstances. It's based upon feelings. Right now, a lot of us are going through unhappy situations because circumstances have changed. It's, it's still eerie. What's going on out there? How's this all going to work out? Um, it took senior years away from people. I mean, obviously, it's okay you know, to, to feel a sense of unhappiness. But what, when you have Jesus' joy... You have something that's different and supersedes happiness. There's happiness and there's sadness. Joy, you can have right in the, the middle of sadness. Joy is a conviction that God loves me and that he is going to set all things right in the end. That gives us joy. He loves you. Your creator loves you. He's not mad at you. And he desires you to have his joy. I'm taking it. Um, we have his joy in the midst of tragedy. I, we got some tough news this week. Um, our old neighbor, it was a family we were, we were pretty close to. I mean, they were Christian family that, that, uh, we helped take care of one another and in 10 years living across the street from somebody, you kind of get to know people. Well, we found out that, um, she had lost her, her battle with Parkinson's disease. And she really wasn't that old, but this Parkinson came on her the last several years and it was aggressive. And, but I remember often, you know, her saying, Hey, could you pray for me? I'm having a rough day. 
but I know Jesus is going to get me through this. Having a, you know, and, and the way she handled this was a model to me of, of, of having joy in spite of circumstances, very, very difficult circumstances. Jesus told his disciples in John 16, he said, he told them that he was going to have to suffer and die and then he would rise on the third day. And he said, your grief will turn to joy. And he talks about how a woman, you know, all the pains of labor and, and, and even nine months of pregnancy, the difficulties, when she gives birth to, to the child, she's not thinking about the pain that she just went through or the difficult nine months. She's, she's holding her little bundle of joy, right? That's why we said, oh, look at that little bundle of joy. But in reality, when, you know, obviously I've never had a, had a baby, but I, it doesn't look very fun to have labor pains and some of the other difficulties that go with being pregnant. It's hard in those moments. I even, you know, might be in the delivery room and, and, uh, you know, the wife might look at her husband and say, what'd you do to me? You know, how'd you, <laughs> how dare you, you know, just frustrated and, and feeling all this pain. And yet, as soon as that little baby is in her arms, all the pain and grief turns to joy. I think Jesus wants us to understand that that's how his joy works. The second thing Jesus uh, prays for us to have is protection. He prays for us to have protection. My prayer, he says, is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. This is important to kind of process. Why does bad things happen? Why is there a virus that's all over the world and wreaking havoc in many ways? Um, we live in a broken world. We live in a world that is going to have trials and tribulations. The, the main thing that all of us have to remember is this isn't heaven. We're passing through. And, and because this isn't the place where there is no sin, no sorrow, no suffering, we have to accept that these things are going to happen in our life individually and as it's happened now, you know, globally, not just one person or a people group. This is happening all over the world. But Jesus came into this broken world and he made himself vulnerable to the elements of this world. You know, when he was a baby, he had to have a little diaper changed. He, he got thirsty. He got hungry. He had to sleep. I mean, he, he came into this broken world to be one of us to ultimately to, to heal it. And it's important that we, we remember that. Now, following Jesus does not mean life is always going to go easy, right? I mean, that's what I'm trying to tell you right now. It doesn't mean a perfect life without troubles. When Jesus prays for protection, he's praying for protection from the evil one, from Satan. He's not, we have to remember that in, in this life, we're going to have physical things happen. People have accidents. People get sick. We get older. All of that is part of this fallen world. And, you know, it even says in Romans 8 that, that the earth is groaning for its renewal, its resurrection, so to speak. When Jesus returns, he's going to come and make everything right. He's going to renew the earth. 
Right now we have hurricanes and tornadoes and all kinds of natural disasters. But, you know, and, and so the earth is groaning. We, we see that in natural disasters for its renewal. So are we physically. But that's going to happen when Jesus returns. We're going to have our resurrected, glorified bodies and, and we'll be in a place with no sin or sickness. Obviously, Jesus, when he was praying for protection, um, we can't try to hyper spiritualize that to everything physical in our life about our bodies. There has to be an acceptance of that, that we're not going to walk in perfect health all the days of our life. The disciples died brutal deaths. 11 of the 12 were all killed because of they preached this good news about Jesus and that, that, that got them killed. So what is Jesus's prayer of protection? Again, it's protection from the evil one. What does that mean? Well, Satan is a deceiver. Satan is an intimidator. Satan is an accuser and he's a slanderer. He slanders God every day to you and me and to all the world. And when you hear that little voice that says, God, if God was really good, you wouldn't be going through this. That's not from God. That voice that's saying that is, is Satan slandering God. He wants you and I to slander God. He wants you and I to lose faith, to lose hope, to go into despair and discouragement and depression. That's his work. And that's what Jesus is praying protection from the evil one over that when we go through difficult times and we hear that verse, that voice that says, if God really loved you, okay, we have to immediately recognize that and realize that's not from, from God. Jesus is praying that our hearts are protected and that our minds and our thought life are protected, that we don't get this bad view, distorted view of God, and that we don't get bitterness towards each other in, in relationships. When life goes bad, it's easy for people to blame one another. We always got to blame somebody. And then unforgiveness. Satan is always working behind not forgiving somebody or being bitter towards somebody. And so Jesus prays for protection for us from the evil one. That's good to know he's prayed that. And then the third thing Jesus prays for us is he prays for us to have purity. He prays for us to have purity. He says, make them holy by your truth. Teach them your word, which is truth. When you hear the word holy, a lot of people reduce holiness to a list of, I don't do this and I, I got to do that. Do's and don'ts, thou shalt and thou shalt not, right? But I think reducing it to that is, is shallow. I, I, I personally do. Is that part of it? Yeah, I, I can understand that. But holiness is wholeness. It's becoming a whole person. It's not just behavior. It's behavior comes from how I see myself, how I see God, how I see my, my identity. And so God wants us to walk in purity and in wholeness holiness by becoming whole by becoming the people that he created us to be becoming the people who who he created us to be and has now redeemed us to be and jesus is the ultimate human right he is the ultimate picture of what it means to be human in harmony with god doing the will of god wanting to do the will of god realizing that god everything god 
tells us to do or not to do is because he actually loves us. So holiness and purity is a commitment to becoming like Jesus because he is the ultimate. And so the Apostle Paul told the church at Corinth, he said, imitate me as I imitate Christ. That's a bold statement. He said, imitate me because I'm imitating Christ. Do what I do and you'll be imitating Christ. I, I want to be that, but I know I'm, I'm not there <laughs> definitely 24 hours a day. I mean, I'm, I'm subject to, to frustration and anger and, and temptation the way all of us are. But really, Jesus is the one we're in, um, in, imitating. <laughs> Get that word out there. J Jesus is the one we're to imitate. And what does that mean to imitate Jesus? It means to take three areas of your life, how you think, how you act, and how you speak. Imitate Jesus in those three areas. So how do I imitate Jesus and how I think? So I have to think to myself, would Jesus be interpreting life the way I am right now? Would Jesus be thinking what I'm thinking? Would he be worrying about what I am worrying about? So you let, let him transform those thoughts and begin to say, Jesus, I want to think the way you do. I won't declare my thoughts. And then how we act or how we behave, we ask ourselves, would Jesus behave this way? Would Jesus do what I'm doing? And then would Jesus speak the way I'm speaking or would he say what I'm saying? And I get it. We all fall short. Jesus is the standard, right? He's the perfect one. We're the imperfect following the perfect one. But that's not an excuse for any of us to just say, oh, that's just the way I am or, or uh, I had a rough upbringing or whatever it is. No, Jesus is in the, in the, the business of restoring us into his image to reflect him. We just did a 10-week a series on the fruit of the Spirit. And the fruit of the Spirit is really uh you know who jesus really is in his character the fruit of the spirit is love joy peace patience kindness goodness faithfulness gentleness and self-control jesus embodies that and we're told that if we walk in the spirit the holy spirit will produce that good fruit in our life so thus we will be walking in purity we will be walking in wholeness if you miss some of that series, I encourage you to go back and, and listen and, and interact with that. The fourth thing that Jesus prays for us to have is purpose. He prays for us to have purpose. You may be thinking to yourself right now, I don't know what my purpose is. Can I be so bold to say, I actually know what your purpose is? Because your purpose is the same as my purpose and everyone God has ever created because God created people to love him heart soul mind and strength and to love our neighbor as ourself your purpose in life is to to love God by loving one another by loving people when we are loving one another we're actually showing worship and praise to God Jesus told his disciples, he said, just as you sent me into the world, I am sending them into the world. It's interesting in this prayer, Jesus says that he, he called the disciples out of the world and then he sends them back that, and that they're not of the world. And then he sends them back into the world. And 
it's what we have to have to remember is when he takes them out of the world, so to speak, I called them out of the world. He called them out of the world's way of thinking. The world has one way of thinking. Jesus has another way of thinking. Jesus's way of thinking is to put others first, to do unto others as you would have them do unto you, to love God and to love people. The world way of thinking in many ways is how do I get mine? How do I, how do I have more, more, more? It's, it's not the way of, of generosity or, or love and peace. It's, it's violence. It's altogether different. Jesus called them out of the world's way of thinking. And then he says, listen, I'm going to send you back into the, into the world to preach who I am. Jesus came into this world to show us what God was like. And he did a perfect job at that. But Jesus went back to heaven. And now he's living through his spirit so that you and I can show the world what God is like. So your purpose is to live on mission with Jesus, to share the gospel with the world around us. Listen, people need good news. And the gospel is the best news ever that, that God came into this world and he lived a perfect life. And then he died a death on the cross that defeated death. How did he defeat death? Because he rose again on the third day. He's the resurrection and the life. That's good news that people need to know there's more to life than just the sum of years we get on this earth. But there's an eternity with God. Tell people about Jesus. Tell people that there's a God who loves them and has, has given a greatest purpose there can be, the ultimate mission, to live in on mission with Jesus. The last thing Jesus prays for us to have is unity. He prays for us to have unity. Unity is so important to Jesus. It's so important. He wants us to get along in spite of our differences. He wants us to pursue a common goal together in unity, in union with him and in union with one another. Disunity causes so much stress on, on us. I think of, you know, this, a, a marriage relationship. When there's disunity in a marriage, man, no good. But when a couple put aside their differences, their hurts, and forgive one another and, and strive to walk in unity together as one, man, there's nothing they can't do together. You think about churches. God, Jesus wants his church to reflect unity. The same way he wants marriages to reflect unity, he wants his church worldwide to reflect unity. But it's embarrassing sometimes because there are people, churches that divide over silly things. Churches divide all the time over secondary issues, secondary beliefs. There are essentials of the faith the Apostles' Creed that, that unite all believers. But man, God doesn't want us to divide over secondary issues. Um, God doesn't... God, And the reality is we're never going to walk in perfect agreement. 
perfect agreement isn't isn't really what we're after. It's the pursuit of the common goal that Jesus would be lifted up, that that his gospel would be preached and that people would come to know him and they would come and find healing and find hope in what he did for them. We don't have to like one another to live in the kingdom of God. I'm pretty sure in the life to come, we will all like each other. But in our human frailty, listen, I, I don't like everybody I love. And I'm not talking about any of you on this screen. I mean, I don't have to like you to love you. You don't have to like me to, to love me. Because like is a feeling. Love is an action. Love does. Like is a feeling. So that's the most important thing that we can remember in, in all of this. Jesus, he said, he prayed, he said, I pray that they will be one just as you and I are one, as you are in me, Father, and I am in you. And may they be in us so that the world will believe you sent me. Did you catch that? Just as he said in John 13, he said, the world will know you're my disciples if you love one another, like that's how people will know you're, you're genuine and authentic. And he brings another little uh, foundation piece there. And he says, the world will know that the father sent me when they're walking in unity, when they're walking in unity. So believers, churches, we need to strive to walk in unity. He didn't say that the world would know you're my disciples by your Jesus fish tattoo or your Jesus fish on the back of your car. I don't have a Jesus fish on the back of my car because that sets the driving accountability bar high, right? It, it, do as I say, not as I, I, I do, right? But the, the, the most important thing is we gotta remember what unites us. What unites us is not a set of dogma, set of dogmas. What unites us is Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit within us and the truth of the gospel one thing I love about our church is we do have diversity in, in our church. We have people from different nations that speak different languages or speak more than you know one language. And I think that's awesome. We don't all look alike. We don't all like the same things. We don't, you know, all the things that give us diversity. That's actually a good thing because the body of Christ is a diverse um, a diverse unity. It's, it's, a, it's a unified diversity. It almost sounds like an oxymoron, but it's not. The, uh, you know, we're told in Revelation that around the throne of heaven was every tribe, every tongue, every nation. So there's diversity within the body of Christ. Diversity should not cause us to walk in disunity, but to pursue unity together. And when that happens, Jesus is glorified and the world will know that the Father had really sent him. I think a great word for, for this is we have a common union, which we're gonna go into taking communion together. Think, you think of that word, communion, common union. We have a common union upward in Christ, and we have the common union with one another in who he is. Before we go into communion, um, I want to remind you of something this morning. This has been on my heart all week that in his most trying hour in a place called Gethsemane, Jesus prayed for us. 
Because right after Jesus finished praying this prayer, we move into what happened as he walks in to the Garden of Gethsemane where he was, he was being crushed. I want to show you some pictures from um, our trip to Israel. I don't know if I told you, but, but we went to Israel last March, so I'm going to show you a picture, a couple pictures. It says in John 18, when he had finished praying, Jesus left with his disciples and crossed the Kidron Valley. On the other side, there was an olive grove, and he and his disciples went into it. This is the, the, the steps, so to speak, or the path that Jesus and the disciples would have been on as they left Jerusalem, just as in that passage that I just read. This is, archaeologists have discovered that this is the definite path that Jesus would have taken to the garden. And the reason it's blocked off is people keep going and stealing rocks from it. And so they're destroying something that's amazing. The next picture is uh, my good friend, Joel Dennis, standing over there, gotten my shot. So that's the road. Jesus, and I want you to just get this mental picture. He walked down with the disciples and he walked almost in a, in a straight line across the Kidron Valley into the olive grove or the Garden of Gethsemane. Now, in the garden, you can see some, some pictures of what the garden looks like today if you were in Israel and what it would have looked like in many ways when Jesus was in there. And when you walk around, you see these old olive trees. And there's actually this tree is that they know is over 2,000 years old and it's still Buddy, it still has leaves. It's still alive. Over 2,000 years ago, that tree was probably in the garden when Jesus went and prayed what he prayed. So Jesus is in the garden now with his disciples. And we're told in Matthew 26, 38, and the next verses that Jesus told him to watch and pray. But he also expressed anguish that his soul was overwhelmed he knew that he was about to go through something very 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 hard and in his humanness he's expressing um, that you know anguish of what was getting ready to happen we're told that that when when jesus would pray that he would even sweat drops of blood came out of his pores and People have said that's happened to people who get in such stressful situations that your pores can actually, you know, have blood and, and sweat combined to it. So it's not like that's something that was made up. It happened in his humanness. But you were on his mind because he said, Father, not my will, but your will be done. And the will of the Father was that he go through what he went through so that he could defeat death and on the third day rise again. And so as we get ready to take communion together, I want to, I want to just talk to you for a second. Like, where are you at right now in your faith journey? Um, there's a moment in time in my life that I know I put my faith and hope in Jesus as Savior and I began to follow him as Lord. And that's the story of many of you that are watching. But if you're watching this morning and you're not sure, like, I don't know, 
Um, what would happen to me when I die? Where I where would I go? All of the questions that come in that. Listen, you can have assurance today by putting your faith in what Jesus did for you. For God so loved the world, he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes will not perish, but have eternal life. So that promise is for you. And so as we take the, the bread and we take the cup together, if you today, by faith, are saying, I believe Jesus lived and died and rose again, then you are becoming a follower of His. And so this is strengthening our walk. Every time we take communion together, our common union, we are remembering what Jesus did for us. And I, I think this is a great time for families to continue, you know, beyond just today taking communion together, something that we need to practice more often and remind ourselves of the gospel. On the night he was betrayed, Jesus was with his disciples as we looked at John 13. And he had a meal with them and he took bread and, and he, he broke it. He lifted it to heaven and he gave thanks. And he told them, he said, this is my body that's broken for you. He said, take and eat in remembrance of me. Let's take it together. It goes on to say that after, after the supper, that Jesus took a cup of wine and he lifted it to heaven and he blessed it. And he told his disciples, he said, this is represents my blood that's going to be shed for you, the blood of the new covenant, that the old way of relating to God through the sacrifice, sacrificial system and the sacrifice of animals was fulfilled in the sacrifice of all sacrifices of Jesus on the cross. And he wasn't going to stay dead, though. That's the beauty of this. Jesus didn't die like those animals and stay dead. He rose from the grave. We're going to obviously celebrate that every day and next week that he didn't stay dead, but he shed his blood. He experienced the abuse of humanity, the violence of humanity to, to, to give death the death blow. Let's take and drink together. pray. Lord, thank you for who you are. Thank you for what you did for us in coming to this earth, living your life, laying down your life, and then being raised to new life to give us eternal life. Lord, we say thank you today. Young and old and everyone in between, we say thank you, Jesus, for who you are. Thank you that our eternity is secure because of what you did for us. Thank you for praying for us, Jesus. Thank you for praying those wonderful truths over us. And God, we, may we, as a church family with one heart, one mouth, bring praises to you and glorify you as we strive and walk in unity and we help one another 
now and, and, and throughout the rest of our lives. Lord, we love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for participating in this time together. Um, if you have needs, if you have prayer requests, um, we'd love to, to continue to pray. Stay connected. It's pretty simple on how to stay connected in groups and in our prayer time together. But God bless you as you go about the rest of your day today, praying for, for God to show himself strong to each one of you. I love you very much. Have a good week. Get rest of your weekend.